The difference with me, when I do what I do, I do what I'm doing, but I'm doing it like I'm doing it for TV. Ow, that's right, we are back for episode number five on your favorite podcast, What the Football. I'm your host, Conway T, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, Rudds and Wade. What's happening, gents? Good, man. What's happening, Connor? Wadey? How's it, guys? Good to be back. Good to be back. It's good to be back, I'm sure, Wade. I've never seen you smile this much. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what a round of fixtures we have just witnessed over the weekend. Some absolutely astonishing results from the new boys and minnows of Brentford going toe-to-toe with the former European and Premier League title-winning side of Liverpool to the utterly dominant performance of Manchester City over their supposed arch-rivals Chelsea, who resembled a team fighting off relegation or mid-table mediocrity, uh, then one actually challenging for the title. We saw Arsenal produce a first-half display to completely control and destroy the North London derby, and of course take on their um, perennial rivals Spurs and make them look somewhat abject. And of course, we witnessed the capitulation of United at Old Trafford once again. Some of their um, old wounds coming back to 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 uh, to get them once again. So I'll tell you what was one of the moments of the weekend was the absolute shithousery tactics by Martinez. What a man, what a man. Gents, where do we start? Well, actually, I do have somewhere to start. I don't know if you knew, uh, listeners, but we actually have a Nostradamus amongst us. He goes by the name of Wade Trower, and he predicted, yes, you heard it first on the What the Football podcast, that Arsenal would win 3-1, and what actually occurred was exactly that. Arsenal winning 3-1. Wade, I know you want to smile. Give us a quick word. We're going to go into deep analysis on, on Arsenal in the second segment, but what a win. Yeah, it was a good win. Um, you know, I've, as you guys know, I've been pretty consistent with, you know, where we're at, um, from the time, from right, to, from the beginning of the season, sorry. Um, you know, it was a, it was a poor start, but I had a strong feeling things would turn around, um, you know, once our players got back. So, uh, it's good to see everyone fit. Uh, for once, you know, we've, we've been very unlucky with injuries. So to have everybody on the field and, you know, to be able to put together a performance like that, at least a, a first half performance like that, you know, was very, uh, very encouraging. So, you know, hopefully we can build from that and, and really kick on now. It's, uh, I think it's a good, it's a good start to our season, even though it's a few games in. Um, you know, hopefully that, that sets a precedent now and, and we kick on. So yeah, very good win. I enjoyed it. And you know what? We will come back to Arsenal in our second segment where we're going to spend a good 15 minutes there really diving in and looking at the tactics, you know, what Arteta had done and, and really get the panel's view on all of that. But I do want to change gear and shift over to probably the the more um, uh, important matters at the top of the table being the game between Chelsea and City. Um, Rudds, you know, before I provide any comment, I might might ask you your opinion. Where Where did it all go wrong for Chelsea and my goodness, City, what a performance. 
Well, we're not the only Nostradamus. I think I predicted a, a City win um, for against Chelsea, a four-time lucky for Tuchel. I think um, this was dominance from start to finish, right? So I think 1-0 totally flatters Chelsea. You know, they, you, that was, for me, the best performance I've seen this so, so far this season by any team. I think... Um, the way they've taken, like that kind of saying, a so-called rival for the title, they, they just tore them apart. It was easy for them. So, um, you know, whether the lack of a striker contributed to them not getting more goals, maybe, but they were still that good that uh, it didn't matter in this game. It may matter if, in games going forward. So, thoroughly impressed by City. Um, you know, they had a couple of poor results. And you think, oh, are they going to keep up? And had they not gotten the win, you think, well, they're falling behind. It's early days, but it's going to be tight this year. But I think City just remind us all how, of how good they are. And some crazy, crazy stats coming from the game. You know, it was only late on that Chelsea actually, you know, brought the possession stats to a more respectable level to about 41% by the end. But for the most part, they were averaging around about 25 to 35 possession at home. I mean, to not register a single shot on goal at Stamford Bridge is, is quite astonishing. But I do want to touch on a couple of things that I think uh, um, stand out for me that, you know, as great as City were, and I will take nothing away from them, they completely dominated that game from start to finish. But for me, the elephant in the room was an absolutely strange team selection by, by Tuchel. Um, it, won, it was one of that felt of complete fear to me uh, to start off with three almost defensive midfielders in, in a way in Kante. Uh, Kovacic and uh, Jorginho. And then, of course, you had Aspilicueta also playing uh, as an attacking wide player, if you will, of their, of their um, defensive line, which wasn't really going to give them anything going forward. So if you look at, if you look at the Chelsea victories from last season of the city, and there were three in a row, including in the biggest stage on the European Cup final day, they always had an outlet. And that outlet was, you know, a 10 or at least two 10s that they could actually link up play with Lukaku. Uh, sorry, back then it wasn't Lukaku, but Werner. But link up play with their forward line and get them to actually ha- string a few passes together. I cannot recall once on Saturday where Chelsea strang more than, you know, two to three passes. Which begs the question for me, why on earth did Tuchel set up in this particular way? If everybody remembers in his interview after the game, he actually apologized and said, I got this completely wrong. So as great yeah. as, as City were... Chelsea, for me, literally played into their hands. If you are going to give a team of City's level that much possession and time, you are going to get murdered every day of the week. I do have an answer um, in terms of why I think he set up that way. I think it's because that was a change he made last week, if you remember, against Spurs. Um, he took Mount off and he put Kante on. And then the midfield was Kovacic, Kante and Jorginho. And they tore Spurs apart. So whether I think, you know, he looked at how that midfield looked against Spurs and thought he may be able to do something similar against um, City. Um, but like you said, it, it just backfired. So um, I understand it to an extent, but maybe it just shows how poor Spurs are more so than how good Chelsea were in that game. What do you yeah, think, Mike? It's almost like he uh, he pulled a pep on himself. It's just like he was overthinking it. You know, you expect pep to to go into big games and surprise you with the team selection or you know the way he sets up his team. It's it's something we've we've seen from Pep quite a bit in the past. So 
It was a very strange one. I mean, um, I think he had a nice balance with Lukaku, Mount, and Havertz up front. Thiago Silva's been so good. I just can't understand why he was on the bench as well. Um, and then to go, yeah, to go those three defensive-minded midfielders, um, it really didn't make sense. It was very strange. It was a very strange team selection. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, City just suffocated them in midfield. It's like every time Chelsea got possession, it seemed like they were surrounded by two or three City players. They just, they couldn't get anything going. I mean, I can't remember Kante having such a bad game for Chelsea as well. He just couldn't get anything going. You know, he looked average out there. Um, but you know, a lot of credit to Pep because I have to admit, I had one leg on the Chelsea uh, train after the way they've started. I mean, they, they looked pretty much unbeatable, you know. Um, against Liverpool, that was very impressive, going one man down early and still managing to hold on for that one-all draw uh, and pretty much wiping the floor with everyone else. They, I really thought, wow, this team could go all the way, you know, and, and they still could. I mean, it's it's one game, you know, so it's still a very strong start to the season for them. But um I have to give a lot of credit to City because, you know, they, they started the season, obviously, disappointing loss to Spurs uh, first up, and we've seen how bad Spurs have been, uh, and then being held as well to Southampton just last week. So they were under a bit of pressure going into this. You know, if if, if Chelsea beat them and beat them convincingly, you know, they, uh, Pep could have been under a lot of pressure so early in the season because at the top, you don't get a lot of chances. You know, if you drop points early on, you're pretty much playing catch-up. You know, especially after the way Liverpool started the season as well. I know they had a little hiccup this weekend, which we'll get to, but um, you really felt it was a very, very big game for City. And I think they would have just taken the three points, um, you know, even if it wasn't a good performance. But the manner in which they went about it, I think their fans will probably be happy. And, you know, you you have to say that they're, they're right back in the hunt now as well. So... Uh, it's going to make it interesting moving forward, but yeah, they're, they're right back now. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you, with you, Wade. Um, I think a, a lot of the mistakes made there have to fall at the end of the day on Tuchel. I mean, we can be harsh on Tuchel um, for this particular game, but he hasn't got a lot wrong in the time that he has been there. At the same time, I mean, he, you know, he did come in and take them to European Championship, um, and they've had a strong start, you know. Maybe the question is, is, is Chelsea, is Chelsea a, a collective team like, you know, I look at City and I look at Liverpool and I see a, a sum that's greater of its, that's greater than its part. So you've got a team that regardless of who's ultimately playing at times, one or two players given, they produce quite a, a high levels of execution. Whereas with Chelsea, um, is it, is it exactly the same? I, I'm not so sure because no mounts. No, no outlet in the 10, and it looked a completely different team. It almost as if he went into that game fearing City with that selection that he made, rather than saying, let's go at it. Because when I saw Loftus-Cheek come on, I saw a change in, in approach and play all of a sudden, Kante off the field, and yeah, they gave City a couple more chances, but they actually looked like a team that was going to do something. So, some strange decisions there overall by Tuchel, but one he will move on from, no doubt, and Chelsea will still bounce back from it in, in, in the long run. Moving across yeah. over to the uh, United-Villa game, and I know that, uh, Rudds, this uh, may not be something you want to dive too deeply into, but I do want to actually... We got a, a recording come through from one of our listeners, um, and I guess he just 
he wanted to pass on a, a particular message. Clearly, there's a lot of frustrated fans out there, and no more frustrated, no more frustrated than our resident United fan, um, Grand Free. So let me just play this for you, Rods. Tell your friend, the one who backs Oli Gunnar Salshire, the one who was mugging me off when I was telling them that Oli Gunnar Salshire is rubbish. You tell your friend, he and Oli can go boat jumping the nearest hole in front of a train together. In hell. And that, as you hear, Raz, is your uh, nemesis, Grand Freeze, all the way from Durban, a clear message. What do you have well, to say he, about that? He, he certainly didn't mince his words, did he? <laughs> he certainly made it pretty clear. And I think Rods may have to come off mute just to respond to that one. <laughs> Rods, what do you got to say? You're on mute, yes. We might have to see what's going on with our colleague Rods, but he cannot come off mute at this point in time. Wade, what do you make of those comments from uh, from Grant? And what do you make of United's performance on the weekend? Yeah, look, I think this is part of the frustration for a lot of United fans. You know, um, they seem to to string together some really good performances, um, you know, get some big victories, and then they kind of, you know, revert back to this where, you know, for pretty much the whole, for a big part of the game, let's say, I thought Villa were the better team. Um, I know you look at the numbers and it shows that United did create more chances, but I think Villa definitely had the best chances uh, in the game. Uh, they missed two sitters in the first half. Could have probably gone into halftime 2-0. And no one would have probably said too much about it because, um, you know, they created some good chances. Um, they played with so much confidence, you know. And and I think teams go to Old Trafford now. They don't really have that fear factor that they once had anymore. So teams are more um, positive when they go there. Um, obviously, the penalty at the end is a big talking point. I mean... Emmy Martinez, you know, Schithausry at its finest, uh, did it in the Copa America, did it again at Old Trafford, um, you know, just put, put Fernandez completely off, uh, his game. So, uh, look, I mean, from an Arsenal fan, obviously it was, it was quite enjoyable to watch, but, um, Aston Villa are a good team. You know, we spoke about, uh, the transfer window that they, they had, uh, in one of our first shows and, you know, they've made some good signings. They look like a good team this year. So they're going to be a force to be reckoned with wherever they go. But um, I guess this is a, a big part of people's frustration is that, you know, they're in times like this, when, when, when they come up against an Aston Villa who are playing on the front foot and putting them under pressure, uh, you know, Ole finds it hard to adjust. And, you know, they got found out once again. It's another bad loss on his record. So, um, yeah, it be interesting to see how they turn it around from here. And Rudds, what is your rebuttal to all of that? Yeah, look, I don't think it was a, as bad a performance as it's been made out to be. I think United were okay in that game. Um, I think um, you look at some of the underlying numbers and what, what had happened. Greenwood, no player took more shots than him on that weekend. Uh, I think he ended up with eight shots. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, no player, created more chances than him over the weekend. So I think... Um, there is an issue with uh, the way those chances or shots are coming. I think that comes down to coaching. I think, you know, you talk about things like patterns of play and, and things that you work on in, the, in, in training. So, you know, as a coach, when you talk about 
know, where are your scoring positions? Um, you know, what, where do you want your players to take a shot? Because as much as United took 28 shots in this game, I think it was about 27 against West Ham as well, uh, where we, and, and we lost both games. Some of those shots are coming from ridiculous angles. So you, you can't tell me that's not, not coming from the, from the coaching, his coaching staff, right? So Oli is not immune to criticism. He needs to get criticized. I don't think it's, um, he's got nowhere to hide. He's got a squad that should be competing. He's got a squad that's good enough to be near the top of the table. Um, and fortunately for him, we still are, right? We still, uh, think we one point from the top. So I don't think it's, it's panic stations just yet. Um, but, you know, um, like Grant was saying, you know, he's, he's got a right to be upset. I think I, I suspect that anger probably comes within the, maybe an hour or so of the, of the result. Um, I think once you sleep on it and you think about it and look at where United are, look at where United were last season at this stage. United lost season at this stage had lost a couple of games. I think we were 15th in the, in the table and, um, there was a tough run of fixtures for Oli post that. And he came back and, and, and we did well. So I think United do perform better against the better teams. I think um, it, it is a trend that when we play the teams that have the low block that sit back and, and defend deep, that it seems to be where the patterns of play and the coaching and the, um, and the way they're getting behind seems to be lacking. But when we play end-to-end football against a team that's going to attack us, it seems, I think that's where Oli and his team thrive. So I think um, United will be okay in the upcoming fixtures. I think we've got Everton, Leicester, Man City, Liverpool. Um, there, there's there's some really good games in there, so um, I'm looking forward to see what 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 the results look like. Um, I will mention the 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 refing. Um, I think the refing is atrocious in the league, so I've got no issue with the goal um, that Aston Villa scored. I think it should be given. That's fine, but the inconsistency in that means that the goals that were disallowed last week for Harvey Barnes should never have been disallowed. You know, so I think you've got to make sure we um, everything's getting um, refed in the same light. So I think there were a few other decisions um, that are very questionable. I think this this morning's game for us, the Brighton and Crystal Palace game, with some of those those decisions were were shocking as well in terms of consistency. But United, okay, um, let's see. Big week for us. Villarreal on, on um, midweek and then Everton at home. So let's see how we go. Yeah, some inter- interesting points there. And, and, and Grant, you know, avid listener of our show, clearly frustrated by the ongoings of Ole and, and where United are at. It seems like you guys take two steps forward and, and about five back every every so often. So I think you're right. You're, you're in for a long season. I think I think these games show Ole's... Ollie's uh, position as a manager when it comes to the tactical side of the game. I do, before we close out the, the segment, there was one question that did come through from, uh, from Peter Maritzburg. I believe it was, uh, Brent Taylor as, as particularly wanted to ask you, Rudds, a couple of questions on United. So maybe if you can give a, a bit of a summary in a, in a two minute spiel there, that'll be great. Uh, my question to Rudds, uh, as a United supporter is, um, after the, Recent performances and results uh, for United, particularly the one on the weekend. Um, does he think there are certain problems developing within the team? Um, or are there too many egos? Or is it possibly that the coach just doesn't have uh, control over the, the players because the performances do not seem to be up to standard? And there's a lot of inconsistency as well. 
Yeah, look, inconsistency. You've got a lot of young players in that squad. Um, and with the, some of the young players, you get some inconsistent performances. I'm thinking specifically around players like Jaden Sancho and, and Greenwood. Um, but we've got a lot of new players. I think they do need time to settle in. Um, so I think it's, it's a bit early to jump on to say um, what is happening. I think if if it continues down this trend and if I'm sitting here over the next two or three weeks and it's the same story, then, I, then I'll agree. I think there'll be larger issues. I, I don't think it's, it's too much of a concern just yet. Um, you know, the losses that we've had, um, that it would, I mean, the Aston Villa one, you know, uh, probably should have been a draw. I think it was a bit, obviously, with the penalty. Um, the, the cup game, um, again, United actually performed well in that game with, um, just didn't take their chances. And then young boys, I think that'll be inconsequential loss as long as we, we, we move on to the next round. Uh, but if United perform poorly against Villarreal this week and then we play poorly against Everton again, then I'll be sitting here next week and, 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 and saying a different story. But for, for now, um, I think it's just about embedding. Um, yeah. Well, it's clear, ladies and gentlemen, the cracks are starting to show. I believe I see a bead of sweat running down Rudd's head as he speaks. Shifting gears, we might close out really quickly, gents. Liverpool. Brentford, what a game. Probably the game of the weekend just in terms of pure mayhem and craziness. Almost a throwback to the Liverpool of when Klopp first started, where defending was not an art, but merely a couple of mannequins standing around allowing goals to be scored. But then at the same token, goals flying in the other end. Six goals. Uh, Brentford coming in. Did we see that coming? Did anybody see an upset result happening? Or what was your take? It was a, a little bit of mayhem. I mean... From my perspective, I looked at that game and kind of went, all right, Brentford will be a test, but we will ultimately uh, get the result done. It wasn't to be. Brentford will well-deserve their points. Uh, Tony was phenomenal with Mbume, um, right next to him, causing us all kinds of problems. And as I said, I feel like the, the two-pronged attack with a, a fast, fast attackers is Liverpool's kryptonite. And if you exploit our right-hand side of our defense, where Matip and... Uh, Gomez or Trent ultimately line up, you will you will probably get success um, with balls over the top. So I'm not surprised by the goals that were scored, but I I am surprised in the nature of of how we were exploited uh, so easily by Brentford. Um, what did you got? What did you make of it, Wade? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if there was ever an advertisement for the Premier League, you'd you'd probably be showing that game. You know, Liverpool absolutely flying. Conceded one goal in their first five matches, scoring goals for fun. Uh, Brentford, first time in the Premier League in, what, 70 years or something ridiculous. Um, you know, started started the season, I guess, in a decent fashion. Um, good win against us first up. But going into this, I couldn't see anything else but a, but a Liverpool win. I thought it's going to be 3 or 4-0, to be honest with you, the way they were rolling. So... Um, such an exciting game, end-to-end stuff. You know, Brentford went toe-to-toe with them. Uh, the pace was electric. The atmosphere was electric. So um, it was a thoroughly enjoyable game to watch as a neutral. Um, you know, I, I thought if Brentford do go toe-to-toe with Liverpool, they, they could be badly exposed because, you know, Liverpool, once they get on that run, they're going to start banging in goals from anywhere, you know. So... Uh, Ivan Tony, another strong game um, from him. He, he looks like he's going to be a problem for um, a lot of defenders this year. 
But yeah, definitely got exposed um, down that right-hand side as well. Uh, a lot of the attacking play came from there. But what a game. What a game, man. Um, it just shows you, you know, in the Premier League, nothing's certain. You know, just those two opening games of the weekend as well, like with Villa winning at United and then uh, City going into that Chelsea game as as probably underdogs, you know, and then to top it off for this, this Brentford result as well against Liverpool. So their fans will be excited. Look, if they can if they can play with that intensity, especially at home this year, uh, they should be fine. They should stay up, and I hope they do because they're a team that you know that want to attack. So um, yeah, very good game. Probably the game of the weekend as well. Yeah. Uh, awesome, awesome. And I think you're, you're bang on with Brentford. They are going to be a breath of fresh air and they, they play some, some really good football. We are going to move on to our next segment, ladies and gentlemen. And without further ado, we go into the analysis corner. That's right. We are talking all things Arsenal and all things Spurs. What a performance by the Gunners. What a result. Um, a quite sublime performance in that first half to completely blow away uh, Spurs from start to finish. I guess in this segment, we really want to dive into what what was the specific uh, tactics or formations that the two teams played? How did they count each other? Where did Nuno go wrong? Um, and what was it about that Arsenal performance that um, that made it so convincing? And we might start off with our obviously resident Arsenal and Arteta fan in in Wade. And just what, what was it particularly about the way Arsenal set up or the way Spurs set up um, that resulted in such a comprehensive win for Arsenal, Wade? Yeah, look, um, I like the fact that he went with the, the young guys behind Aubameyang up top. Um, the first, the first word that comes to mind is energy. Uh, we look like we were just on it right from the get go, you know, packed crowd, two wins in a row. We went into this game with a little bit of momentum, a little bit of confidence. And I think we needed this, this win. We needed a statement win. You know, it's, it's all well and good beating the Burnleys of the world and the Norwiches of the world, but, those are games you're expected to win, you know. Um, when you come up against Spurs, I think, you know, form goes out the window and it, it comes down to who's who's more hungry on the day. And, you know, we just had uh, so much energy right from the get-go. We wanted to play on the front foot. Um, you know, it helped that we've kind of uh, got a settled back five now, it looks like. Um, Shaka coming back into the midfield next to party gave us that stability as well. Um, and then, yeah, the guys going forward were just, yeah, uh, electric. I mean, Emil Smith Rowe, so much energy, you know, taking the ball, turning, running at defenders. Uh, Martin Erdegaard involved in everything, you know, just keeping things ticking over. Uh, and then Saka on the right as well, just electric, you know. I mean, Aubameyang, you know, it, it starts from the pressing, I think, you know, and when you look at the pressing of Aubameyang and Erdegaard uh, from the front, they just didn't allow Spurs to get into any sort of rhythm. You know, as soon as they got, as soon as they got possession, um, you know, they, they almost were stuck. Um, and then Tomoyasu at right back, I think he got man of the match, just kept on in his pocket all game as well. So I think it just came down to, to energy and to hunger. And you can see there's a freshness about this Arsenal side. 
They're a young team. They're improving. Whereas Spurs, on the other hand, it, it kind of looks stale. It's kind of similar to what was happening under Mourinho, where they're not really creating any chances. Um, so it makes it difficult to score goals. And then you add to the fact, add, to, add the fact that, you know, Harry Kane is his head in the right place. Another poor performance from him. Um, you know, falling over the ball and then we take it and we score the other side. Like, you know, everything that could go wrong for them is just going wrong for them at the moment. And, you know, they just got us, um, at a time where we seem to be on an upward trajectory and, and they seem to be going the other way. So very good performance, especially that first half. And yeah, I just hope that we kick on from here now and we maintain that same, that same energy moving forward. And Rods, I mean, you've you've made no secrets of your your assessments of Nuno, you know, being appointed at Spurs in the first place. We've had an interesting question come in for, again from uh, another listener, Brent um, Brent Taylor, asking, "What are the problems at Spurs?" Um, he makes the statement to say, "It seems that the ship is floundering, and questions are already being raised about Nuno being the right coach for the job." His interview after the game pointed to some underlying problems in yeah. the team especially his comments about players not following the game plan. Um, you know, I guess he makes a statement to say if that is the case and players have deliberately gone against what he's uh, set out to do, uh, you know, that could that could turn terminal at some point. Uh, what are your thoughts on those comments by Brent? Yeah, look, um, like, like you said, I made no secret about um, Nuno not being the right fit, particularly when they went through, you know, quite a, a rigid sort of, oh, sorry, rigorous um, appointment um, program where they interviewed coaches like Conte and Fonseca and, you know, you had these, you know, coaches that are known for playing different type of football and then you end up with a pragmatic coach like Nuno. Um, I understand that he did okay for Wolves. Um, he got them promoted and he got them to to be a... Um, a mid-table team, you know, he secured their, their premier, their premier league status, but Wolves fans were looking for the next step to start playing good football and it never quite fit. So, you know, what's going wrong? I think, um, one, perhaps you're looking at these players that you've got a coach that was third or fourth choice uh, or, or, or maybe even lower. Um, so one, you're asking questions like that. Two, I think, um, he's acknowledging that he's making the wrong choices in terms of players to depend on. And I can tell you now he's talking about Deli Alli um, as his main culprit. Mourinho dug Deli Alli out because he didn't work hard enough. And Nuno, and Nuno's starting to see that when he needs him the most, um, he's not, he's not doing it. If you look at some of the underlying stats that Spurs have had over these first six games, right? In terms of shots, um, in the league, they are lost. They've created the least amount of shots. And that goes for the same for chances created. They've, they've created the least. In terms of chances against and expected goals against, they are second last on that. You know, so, so no, only one team has more chances created against him than Spurs. And then one of the main things that you, you get shocked about in terms of the running stats, you know, Spurs are bottom of the table in terms of kilometers, um, ran in the league. So you, if you think about Spurs and a Pochettino, they had, some of the words that, that, that Wade was talking about, they had energy, they were pressing, they were working their asses off, they were running up and down, they were pressing teams, getting the ball back and scoring and creating chances. So um, I, I know we're talking about Kane and not looking happy, but, you know, 
what's the expectation on him? They're playing so far away from the goal. You know, in, in when you watch that game, um, the game was after was over half time, right? So second half, Spurs did look better. They did create more chances. Kane did look like he was most likely to score. I know Son got the goal, but I think there's one ball that came over where his touch was fantastic. He tried to put it over Ramsdale and he just missed the bar. Um, there was one where he had it outside the box and he took a shot. Going on target, good good save by Ramsdale again. And then possibly could have had a penalty against Ben White. So, you know, I think he, he's still sharp enough when you get to that final third. Um, but I think the way the team is set up and the way they're playing and what Nuno's doing, I just don't think it's a fit. Uh, I can't see Nuno lasting the season. You know, he can still turn it around. Um, but um, if he turns it around... Call. His approach, he's going to have to go maybe towards what he was doing at Wolves. He played a three at the back. Um, maybe that's what he that's what he does and what that's what he does best. That's what he should do. Um, and, and I think maybe he's going to find out some players who he who he can and can't trust. And then he's got to he's got to back the players who are going to back him. So he can turn it around. But if he continues in this um, in this phase of form and continues to rely on the same players he's relying on at the moment, um, and not just Deli Ali, I think in Dombele wasn't wasn't great. Hoiberg wasn't great, but I think they are better players in terms of form than Deli Alli has been. I haven't seen such a fall from grace that Deli Alli has had. You know, they were looking at him as one of the best midfielders in the league. He was one of the first names in the English national team. He is so far away from that team, it's it's not even funny. So, I mean, those, those where I, you know, I've got a lot to say about Nuno. Um, I'm not a fan, um, but um, I'm keen to hear what the other guys say. Well, I think you've raised, raised some points and I want, I want to dive in a bit deeper, Wade, and let's look at, let's look at a couple of things, um, a couple of notes I got from the game. I want to look at Spurs out of possession. Um, so they, they pretty much set up, uh, in a 4-3-3, um, and tried to press Arsenal up relatively high. The, the issue became in, I think Arsenal kind of set up in a 4-2-3-1 from what I could see. And mm-hmm. what ultimately happened was you had, I think it was Kane, um, Mora, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, Son, basically the three the three front line players, um, and then also um, one of their midfielders trying to push up to close as high up as possible. So you effectively almost had a four man press at the front, which what then that created was an overload for Arsenal in the midfield. They actually had three players there, which was Xhaka, Partey, and Odegaard. Competing against Indombele and, 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 and Hoiberg. So you had a three on two every time once Arsenal get past that press. Which is why when you look at the first goal, I cannot get my head around the amount of space and time that guy had. And he wasn't the only Arsenal player in the box, uh, that, that, that had that space. There were about two or three options there that had absolutely nobody around them. So for a, a coach of Nunes' level in terms of defensive shape, that was some of the worst defending I've ever seen across the park from the top. So disjointed that it created gaps and spaces across the entire field, which Arsenal, I must say, and, and credit to Arteta, exploited to an, an absolute T. Um, and I thought Odegaard was particularly good in linking up the play and bringing those forward line in, 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 in into the midfield and connecting. And at the end of the day, a, a well-deserved outcome for, for Arsenal. Wade, well, did you see something similar in that regard? Did you find you completely dominated the midfield? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Odegaard was instrumental, probably my man of the match on the day. Um, he's the type of player that 
you know, nine times out of ten, he's going to make the right pass. So what you had was him sitting in that midfield as well. And as soon as the ball got turned over, you always rely on him to make the right pass to the, you know, to the the correct outlet. And then when you've got the likes of Saka and Smith Rowe who want to get the ball and run at defenders, you know, with the energy that they have, um, you know, it, it really played into our hands in that regard. So, and even with us building from the back, I think it was the, might have been the second goal where, uh, it went from Ramsey to Shaka and they would, they were right on Shaka, nearly forced a mistake from him. But once he managed to, to win the ball back from that position, it was, you know, it was open season for us, you know, I think it was one ball to, um, to Tierney. Tierney to Aubameyang and then Aubameyang with that little flick around the corner to Smith Rowe and he was just in a ton of space so every time we wanted back in that position you know we had the energy we had the speed to hurt them and they they really played into our hands I mean we looked sharp um, we took our chances as well good to see Aubameyang back among, amongst the goals uh, we're going to need him to score goals if we're going to make our way up the table he's a crucial player for us um, and I think Saka on the right, I think a lot of people, no one's really mentioned that, but, you know, with Pepe, sometimes he can slow our counter-attack down because he, he has a tendency to over-dribble at times, um, whereas Saka is a lot more direct. You know, he wants to run at players and then he wants to do something, and his final ball as well is is, is really good. So definitely played into our hands, but... For me, the main thing was just having that energy and that willingness to want to run at the defenders and, and getting behind them and then getting into those positions and taking the chances when they present themselves. So, um, look, I was really wrapped with the performance. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who's going to get too high about it because I know Spurs are not in a good place at the moment. So um, let's back it up against Brighton next week. Uh, if we can get another victory there. Um, you know, we'll be back in the top half of the table and then, you know, we've got a, we've actually got a nice, uh, run of fixtures as well after the, the international break. So if we can keep picking up these results, if we can settle on that back five, um, and then, you know, those front players remain the same, I, I think we're going to be all right this season. So stoked with that. Really stoked with the result. And a great segue before we close out this, this, uh, this, um, segment. Wait, I do have a question for you again from uh, Brent Taylor, who seems to be very uh, active in tonight's show. But he, he does have a question for you, and I think it's a great way to finish off this uh, this segment. So listen up. Okay. Um, my question to Wade. Uh, well, first, congrats on the Gunners uh, beating Tottenham in the North London derby. But um, I just want to ask him whether he thinks they win. Um, over the weekend uh, as a turning point for Arsenal and does he believe that they are moving in the right direction and does he still obviously have confidence in Arteta as, as the coach? So three questions to unpack there, Wade. Yeah, look, uh, a couple of really good questions that uh, that Grant's asked there. Um, you know, I, I've been saying since the beginning of the season, guys, I'm I'm happy with the direction we're moving in, right? We're not going to be a team that's going to go out and spend 100 million on Grealish or 97 million on Lukaku. So with the owners that we have, um, I think the plan is to buy young and develop these players and let them grow with the manager as well. I've always rated Arteta. You know, he had a bad run of seven games last year, which really um, hindered our season. If you look at our form in the second half of the season, 
we I think the form table we were second or third in the league. So we had a really strong second half of the season and the opening few games of this season, I mean we had six or seven first team players out. We're not a squad that's gonna cope with those injuries, you know. So everyone is saying, Oh, he's under pressure, you know, he's not the right guy. We're just not a team that can cope with those injuries. We need to pretty much have our full strength team. Uh and I think now that we do, you're starting to see um, you know, the fruits of his labor because the guys were on song. We've got a lot of young guys that want to make an impression. Um, they're still gelling together as well. Remember that. Ramsdale, Tomoyasu, Ben White. That's three out of our back five who've never played for Arsenal before. You know, it's their first season together. Some, you know, Tomoyasu's never played in the Premier League before. So I think with time, with this team gelling, I'm very confident we're moving in the right direction. I mean, the aim is top six for me. I'm, I'm not getting ahead of myself. If we can get back into Europe, that's a, success, a successful season for me. Anything more than that is a bonus. So I'm definitely happy with where we're going. Yeah, Any closing but, remarks, Rod? Yeah, um, just on Arteta, like Arsenal have put everything into Arteta. So it's make or break. You know, they, they can't just sack him. Whereas you contrast that with Spurs. And Nuno was their last choice. I don't think they've got anything hanging on him. It's almost as if he's a, a placeholder until they could get Pochettino back or someone else um, who may be better suited. So, I mean, that's that, that's a, a key difference um, to that North London divide. Yeah, some very valid points in that argument. And, Wade, I, I could not agree more. Arsenal, after their last few performances, and especially a derby win can always have a, a, a springboard effect on a season. And I think this is the moment that Arsenal... After putting Chelsea and, and City, uh, you know, behind them, as you said, with, with not even close to their strongest team, can now focus on some very winnable fixtures coming up and move in the right direction, um, which is upwards. So I guess that brings us on to a, a fan's favorite and, of course, our uh, trivia maestro, uh, Rudds. And, of course, we will then move into our trivia segment. Over to you, Rudd. Okay, so just a reminder, Connell's got a two-point lead over Wade, so expecting big things from you today, Wade. So just a reminder for the listeners... Um, we've got two players for you to guess. One, I'll uh, read out a few facts um, for you to guess who the player is. So who the heck is that? And then the second one is around the teammates. So I'll go around uh, a number of teammates that this player has had until you can narrow it down to who you think it is. Um, very gettable one today, gents. Um, so, wait. You um, say that every week, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Stringing us along. I was just reading it before, and I'm like, oh, these guys are going to get it pretty quickly. So, okay. um, there I'm we go. My lead, Wade. I'm extending my lead. Man, I'm, I'm on a high at the moment. This is probably going to bring me <laughs> crashing back down to earth now. <laughs> All right, there we go. I was born in San Pietro, Venotica, the southeast coast of Italy. The dream was always to follow in the footsteps of my father, who was a professional footballer. In fact, my father is a World Cup winner with 35 caps for his country. I started my football journey playing 
in the lower levels for Flamingo. And in 2001, I spent a season playing for Calmay before returning to Flamingo at the age of 10. I signed my first professional contract in 2005 as a 14-year-old. In 2006, I formed a close bond with Mario Bellotelli, uh, who was on trial at the club. However, he did not end up signing for the club. Cavani? No. In 2008, I played for my country's under-17 team, winning the European Championship. I was named man of the match for the final, which I scored in. I then moved on to the under-21 team, and I twice won the European Championships in 2011 and 2013. For the 2013 competition, I scored a hat-trick in the final, won the Golden Player Award, and left with the silver boot. My brother is also a professional footballer. He is currently playing for Paris, Paris Saint-Germain in France. <laughs> what the fuck? He, he has two international caps with one, with one goal. Um, and I myself have 46 international caps with two goals. My career has been somewhat halted by injuries, including a 2013 ACL tear, which cost me a spot in the 2014 World Cup squad. My father famously did a baby celebration in 1994, along with Bebeto and Romario. My brother won a gold medal at the 2016 Olympics with Brazil. Post the under-21 trophies, I am yet to win any silverware with my country. At club level, I have the following trophies. I'm completely lost. Wait, wait, just hold on one sec before you move on. You said with Bebeto and who? Romario. Romario. 94. His dad did the famous celebration. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to think of you. You know the one, the cradle Yes, one. I remember huh? the cradle Yeah, I know yes, the cradle I one. I can picture that. them actually yeah, doing it. Yeah, very well. Yeah. There was like a group of them that did I'm it. Trying yeah. to three of them. Three I'm of trying to picture the yeah. third player. Yeah. Right. Um, at club level, I have the following trophies. Two times Champions League winner, two time Club World Cup winner, UEFA Super Cup winner, two time Super Copa de Espana winner, a Copa del Rey winner, four time La Liga winner, three time DFL Super Cup winner, four time FB Poco winner. Obviously not, no, 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 never mind, carry on. Seven time Bundesliga winner. I'm close to the end there, guys. Tiago. <laughs> it is Tiago. Oh, my gosh. So, his father is Mazzinho. He played for Brazil in the 1994 World Cup and won it. Obviously, his I, didn't, I actually didn't know that. His, his brother followed suit and plays for Brazil. I don't think he has a oh, call-up well. for, for a while. But Tiago plays for Spain. Um, yes, he does. And, and he could have played for Italy as well. So, he was born in Italy at the time. His father was playing, um, I think it was Fiorentina. Um, when he was born, and that's why he's born in Italy. So, um, so wait, Italy, he, he could yeah. have played for Italy, Italy. or Brazil, Brazil, but he's playing for Spain. For Spain. Yeah, because yeah. from Italy, as a kid, he moved over to Spain. So he yeah. grew up in Spain. Um, he did go back to Brazil as an under-10 and joined Flamengo. So he played mm. in that system, then that's went back to... Me. Then went to he, went he always to throws us off with the nationalities yes. because it's, it's like, I don't know, I'm thinking, is, is, this, is this so Italian? Like, is he white Spanish? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so, so as soon as I started saying the the trophy, I knew when I get to Bundesliga, you get it, right? So I, I try to keep yeah. up, keep up who he played for. If I said Barcelona, I think it's very, very few players in the league that that uh, um, come from that sort of schooling. So um, yeah, that's a good one. So Wade, as close as getting that. Yeah, well done, and, Wade. Um, so we were pretty close to the end. There's only a couple left, but. Uh, um, you know, you think the Liverpool fan would uh, be all over that? <laughs> How embarrassing! I've now not got, I've now not got Jota and bloody Thiago. Just to yeah, be I didn't get Theo last week. Remember, you got Theo <laughs> oh, yeah. last week, Connell. So yeah. yeah, I think it was uh, Connell got Mikel Arteta as well. So as well, um, yeah. yeah. Actually, it, it seems to be exactly. <laughs> There's a trend developing. Yeah. Well, well, let's go to teammates, right? So. Um, oh. I feel like this is an easy one, but uh, let's see how we go. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Samuel Eto, Peter Odomwingi, Diego Godin, Lukaku. It is Lukaku. Yeah! It is Lukaku. It is an easy one. So tell us how you got that one, Connell. Adam Wingy. Where did Lukaku go? Adam Wingy was at West Bromwich Albion. Yes. And that's the one that gave it to me. That that was the exact one that gave it to me. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, look, that was an easy one then. So, um, that was true. It wasn't easy. I just knew the answer. There's a big difference. <laughs> well, that means Connor keeps his keeps his lead up too. Yeah. So um, I thought I might throw you with Peter Adamingi, but you were all over it with the West Brom one. Yeah, I was uh, all out. Yeah, because I could. I knew. I remembered Peter Adamingi quite clearly too. Yeah. And then the most um, who the hell played for West Brom and then played with Zlatan? Yeah, it's Lukaku. Yeah. 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 I remember Peter Adamingi for waiting in the car park for. Yeah, that uh, infamous <laughs> deadline day. Yeah, <laughs> scenario. <laughs> uh, he never really recovered from that, did he? Yeah. Kind of went no. downhill from there. Yeah. That was his big money move to the mighty Portsmouth. What yeah, was it, Portsmouth? Yeah, Harry, it would have been Pompey at the time. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, there you have nice. it. Another segment of Who the Heck is That with uh, Rudd's. Uh, a great little segment there. The, I must say, uh, the panel, we are getting better. I know the first one took us a bit of time, but that is the quickest we've ever got the, the second one. Yeah. Um, normally, you got like 50 players there, and we got it after four. So, I'll be yeah. expecting a bottle of whiskey or something from you, Rudds, after that one. I'll work a bit harder on throwing you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess, gents, that brings us to the, the final part of our show, the, the wrap-up, the final thoughts, uh, what we're most looking forward to. Actually, we, we forgot completely um, performance and, and, and play of the week. We might we might actually jump on that. We got a, a spare couple of minutes. Wade might start with you. Who was your uh, team of the week and uh, particularly player of the week? Um, yeah, look, it is a tough one because so many teams played well this weekend. You know, obviously, special mention to Villa getting a big victory at Old Trafford. Um, City were excellent considering the circumstances going in. What a performance from them! Uh, obviously, Arsenal's performance as well was great, but I have to go with Brentford. Um, I just think going toe-to-toe with Liverpool the way they did, scoring three goals, um, you know, what a day for them, what a day for their fans. It would have felt like a victory for them. So, epic performance from Brentford. So, they're, they're my team of the weekend. 
Um, player of the weekend, I'm going to have to say uh, Martin Erdegaard. I thought he was phenomenal. Um, you know, kept us ticking over. Was at the heart of everything we did against Spurs. And he's going to be a massive player for us. I can't believe he's only 22 years old. You know, already captain of Norway. So, bright future ahead of him. So, I'm going to go with um, Brentford and Erdegaard for me this weekend. Rods? Yeah, easy one for me this weekend. So, City, like I said, best I've seen any team play this season. So, you know, Chelsea are a title rival. And they absolutely schooled him. Uh, you know, they're, they're, there's a massive difference between those two teams. So, the way they've set up, the way they've gone out, the pressure they were on leading up to it, I can't go by City. So, well done to Pep Guardiola and his, and his City team. Um, but in terms of player of the week, uh, there's only one man for me, and that is Raul Jimenez. So, you know, after the injury he sustained, um, you know, I think it's almost 330 days since his last goal, coming back and scoring and the outpour of emotion and the goal to win, to win the game as well. You know, I've, I've been talking up Wolves and how good I think they are. And, um, they were just missing that final touch up there. And hopefully this is a start for him to get his confidence back in front of goal and a fantastic story. So Raul Jimenez for me, Connell. Great goal, by the way. Yeah, that's great. Really good great, finish. absolutely great yeah. goal. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think uh, team of the week for me, you know, I, I would have probably given it to City Rods, uh, like you said, but I just feel Chelsea made it far too easy for them at the end of the day about getting their tactics so horribly wrong. So for me, the bigger the bigger achievement was 100% Brentford. I think going coming up from the championship in a stadium that fits, I think, only 17,000 and and really should not, you know, in theory, be on the same park as as Liverpool or most of the Premier League teams, but completely punching above their weight. And I'll tell you right now, fully, fully deserving of that point. Cannot take anything away from them. As Wade said, would have been a, 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 a felt like a win to them, but um, absolutely phenomenal from Brentford. And I. I enjoy watching them. The way they play and, and go go at teams is, uh, you know, I had, I had a go at Chelsea saying, how can you spend that much money and come out and defend for 90 minutes against a rival? And you got little old Brentford on a shoestring budget going toe-to-toe with the former European champion and Premier League title. It's just uh, a title winner. It just defies belief. So for me, Brentford, but I'm sorry, the player of the week for me is Emiliano Martinez and that shit already he performed at, at Old Trafford. Uh, that was some of the most comical stuff I've seen in my life. Calling out Ronaldo and saying, I want you to take the penalty, not Bruno, you. And then having Cavani and Pogba and Fred trying to push him away, I thought was absolutely hilarious. The mind games were in full effect. And to top it all off, once uh, he's already planted himself in Bruno's head, and I think the ball is still currently in orbit, uh, given how bad that penalty actually was, for him to then turn around, to the uh, Man United fans and do a bit of a jig was an absolute icing on the cake. Long may it live, long may the Shadaro Ziri continue, and long may the uh, the banter continue because that's what we missed all these years was some fun between players and then fans. You know, an empty stadium and nobody bats an eyelid at that, but with a crowd, just adds so much more. So, Martinez, you take my player of the week this week. I guess uh, final wrap-up, gents. What are we looking most forward to this week? Champions League returns, a break for Arsenal, back on the weekend. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, final minutes or so, what are you, what are you looking forward to, Wade? Uh, hard to look past Liverpool and City this weekend. Um, you know, top of the table clash. 
uh, going to be very interesting. Can City back up that performance against Chelsea? Uh, if they come up with another statement win, then, you know, they're, they're right back in there. So really looking forward to that one. Man United Everton is going to be interesting. Ole under pressure already needs a good performance. Everton have been good. So, uh, looking forward to that one as well. And then obviously if we can get another win against Brighton, um, this weekend, it's going to be a tough challenge going up there to Seaside. So, um, we'll see how that one goes. But a couple of juicy fixtures this weekend. But yeah, Liverpool City, hard to look past that one. So for me, it's, um, it's the Champions League. Um, it's a replay of the Europa League final. Um, so we got to get some revenge. I think, um, interesting fact, I think the last five, um, well, actually every single, um, matchup against Villarreal has ended up in a nil-nil draw. So, um, if you are a betting man, maybe put your money in nil-nil. But, um, Oli needs his team to bounce back, not just in, on the weekend, but, um, you know, in the Champions League again. So setting bottom of that, um, of that table, uh, for qualification. So we need to make sure we get a good win. And look, and the Liverpool and, and, and City game is, is, is high on my list as well. So, you know, I think, um, Liverpool have had a pretty decent ride in so far. I think they've played all the promoted teams and a couple of their favourites. Um, um, so I think like it was Burnley and, and Crystal Palace. Um, Chelsea, they played the 10 men. So I think this will be the biggest test for them um, um, this season so far. So looking forward to see what their title credentials look like post this game. Yeah, I would agree. Champions League, definitely at the forefront. Obviously, my team playing Porto tomorrow morning. But I think the fixture of the round in the Champions League is no doubt going to be, uh, the, you know, Paris Saint-Germain City. Uh, repeat of last year's semi-final where Pep got the better of uh, Pochettino. And a massive run of fixtures for City, you know, going away to Chelsea, then playing PSG and then away at, at, at Liverpool this weekend again. So, you know, if they can somehow come out of that with, 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 uh, two victories, um, uh, or three, or, or, or whatever it might be, they they could easily do it given the squad that City have. So um, I think that's the the, the 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 match of the round in the Champions League, and of course going ahead to Saturday, the Liverpool uh, City game. I am I'm looking most forward to to see, I guess, where both teams are at in terms of um, being perennial rivals, being the main front runners of the league for for quite a number of years, and. Um, Almost a rematch to, to the, to the, to the previous season when Liverpool won the league in the year before when, when they pushed City all the way. So I'm intrigued to see it at both teams at probably full strength. Um, and ultimately probably paving the way for, for how the season will pan out as we head into yet another international break in the middle of the season. So I guess without further ado, uh, guys, that's, that has brought us to the end of the show. We thank you all again for listening. It's been a wonderful time here on the show with, with great commentary and, and great feedback from our listeners. You know, Grant, uh, Brent providing a lot of, uh, questions for the panel. Please guys provide your questions. We're happy to take them, challenge the guys on, on, on the show and, uh, make it as interactive as possible. We are here to feed the listeners and our list and fan base is ever growing every week. So please catch us on, uh, Facebook at What the Football, um, podcast as well as you can catch us, our podcasts are available on Apple, Podbean, and Spotify across all medias. Um, and we, we welcome our interactions and value our, our fans. So until next week, enjoy the football and uh, you'll never walk alone.